Well, last week we uh, had looked at the three denials of Peter uh, as Jesus had told him he would do that. And that event happens just before daybreak as Jesus had been brought before the Jewish religious leaders assembled at the high priest's house. It was there that they asked him this question. Are you the Christ? Jesus' answer was somewhat obtuse. He said, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And then they asked point blank, are you the Son of God? He says, you say that I am. And with that answer, the Jewish leaders decided it was time to be done with this troublemaker, to be done with this one who was creating issues in their culture. He needed to be eliminated. And so this decision by the religious leadership results in Jesus being taken to the Roman leader of the region. You know his name, Pilate. Now make no mistake, the religious Jewish leaders wanted a death sentence for Jesus. The problem was they could not legally do that themselves. And so it leads us into this message, this section of Scripture in Luke chapter 23, a series of trials. And, and, you know, we think of a trial, we think of going to the court, having a jury seated, having a judge, having an attorney, having uh, another attorney, and having court reporters, and all those kind of things. And kind of jettison that image, because that's not what's going on here. It's a trial, yes, but not like we would think of a trial. It's more of a... Um, deposition uh, of position of what's going to happen to him. But the Jews wanted Jesus' death and they needed the Romans to give that sentence of death because they couldn't legally do that. Now understand, the problem is the Jews absolutely hated the Romans. I mean, it, it wasn't a, well, we kind of dislike them a little bit. No, it was hate in their hearts. Why? Because the Romans had conquered their land, had put them under their power, They had exacted taxes from the people. You want to get people stirred up? Talk about taxes, right? And they had taken away their independence. They had no longer control of their land, of their social activity. So Jesus' activities were viewed by the Jewish leadership as dangerous, as seditious, as something that would create problems for them and was going to create problems for them. And so if they couldn't get this issue resolved, the Romans might come down on them because the people were beginning to rise up and to revolt. Strangely enough, even one of their own religious leaders saw the expedience of one man dying for the people to preserve the power. And the one they've identified here is Jesus. So with the intent of the Jewish leaders' uh, death sentence, they needed help of the Romans. And that's where we are today in chapter 23, verses 1 through 16. Take a look at God's word with me in chapter 23, verses 1 and following. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus, him, before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate answered him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You've said so. 
Then Pilate said to the chief priests and crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout Judea, Judea from Galilee even to this place. Now what happens here are three rapid-fire, and we're going to use the word trials, but don't think court trial like we have, but trials, moment, boom, 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 three things. And it all happens sometime between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. And you're going, they did three of these encounters in three hours. Yeah, fast. Quick judgments, quick encounters, quick decisions, quick outcomes. So with the gathering to the high priest's home, they, it, 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 as the sun begins to rise, here we begin this series. And we may struggle with the timing of these because you look at this and go, how could they accomplish that? Because we all know how quickly our justice system doesn't work, right? But this is not a democratically controlled Environment. This is a despot. These are people who have absolute power over the people, absolute decisions. They decide the choice, and that's it. And with the word, these men, with, with their authority, could decide a person is going to die or live like that. And we struggle with that because we don't have that in our day. But it seems these three trials happen over the course of just a few hours on the day that Jesus would die. And the story moves from Caiaphas's home, as we talked about last week, is probably on the southern edge of the city of Jerusalem, over to a big facility that would have been next to the temple called the Antonia Fortress. And you're like, what, what is that? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a big fortress. It's where the Romans kept their soldiers in garrison. It's where they would have their government seat when they needed to be in Jerusalem. And by the way, they hated to be in Jerusalem because it was filled with all these religious people. They would rather be down at the seashore in their own city. But they had to go up there from time to time, especially when there was a Passover, a Jewish festival going on that we needed, meant that thousands upon thousands of people would show there. And so they take Jesus and they head over to this fortress, and it's here that Jesus comes face-to-face with Pontius Pilate. He's an interesting cat. Regional Roman governor, not a local boy. Probably didn't want to be there in the first place, but he got assigned there to take care of it. But he had the authority under Rome to either execute or not, to order death or to order life. In fact, we read in another gospel that the Jewish leaders didn't even want to go into the facility because if they did, they'd become unclean. And it was Passover week and they didn't want to be filthy because they had to go through the process of being cleansed and purified. But they got this audience with Pilate who looked at the case and asked Jesus one question. One question. Did you see that? Are you? the king of the Jews? That's a loaded question. Now, the Jewish religious leaders were, let's just put it this way, pretty upset. Here's what they did. They came up with a threefold charge. Did you see it in the text? He's done three things. He's misleading our nation. What does that mean? Misleading our nation. He is forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Hmm, I wonder what the basis for that one was. And saying that he is Christ, a king. Now, now they held kind of a unique perspective on Jesus as they saw him as a figure who held the power to dismantle their precarious situation with the Romans. You're going, what do you mean? The Romans had taken over the culture. They had taken over the religious authority even in many ways because the high priest was supposed to be a man who would be named for life. But the Romans decided to use it as a political position and give it to somebody they wanted to be in charge to have a umbrage back to Rome so that the high priest would change from time to time. 
And the old high priest would still be alive, hang around and still be there. And so they're looking at this situation going, we have got to figure out a way to get the Romans to do what we want him to do. And so their charges, at least from their perspective, make perfect sense when you understand what they're dealing with. They really believed that Jesus was reinterpreting the traditions of the religion. Now, was he? He absolutely was. You go, what do you mean? I believe the Jews had gotten to a point at this time where they had interpreted the law and the Old Testament so incorrectly that as Jesus came along, it looked like a radical departure. But really what it was is was a radical return to the actual truth of the Old Testament. He says, this is who Jesus really is. This is who the Messiah is going to be. This is really how faith works. They also believed he was telling the people to give both to spiritual and human causes. They didn't want a dime more than they had to to go to the Romans, so they really hated that one. And they said, and he even says he is the Christ, a Messiah, a king. And we all know there can only be how many kings in the Roman Empire? One, Caesar. None of these things could be true if they, could hold, if they were going to hold on to their power. And that was the crux of the issue, the crux of the problem. But was it enough to result in a, cruci- uh, in a conviction? And that's what's fascinating because we see Pilate's working conclusion here. He says, he's not guilty. He's not guilty. I find no guilt in this man. Now, to the, raw, to the Jewish leaders standing there in front of Pilate, pretty ticked, they couldn't understand that. They go, of course he's guilty. You've got to see this. How could you not see this? But notice Jesus' brief answer to the king of the, king, king of the Jews' question. He doesn't actually say yes. He says what? It's what you said. I acknowledge it. You know, there are sometimes we are faced with accusations, faced with, faced with difficult situations where sometimes the best answer is the what? The brief answer. We don't have to go into detail and answer all the things that we could talk about to just let the facts stand on their merit. In a very real sense, what Jesus was following was his own teaching that he said in Matthew chapter 5, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Sometimes we feel like we have to rush in and explain every little detail, every little thought, every little... We don't. Just let the truth of your life stand as silent witness as Jesus was doing that that day. To be people who are concise, who are clear, who speak what we need to say and nothing more. So Jesus' first trial resulted in a brief answer. Look at the second trial. And this is a fascinating development because you actually have two guys who are in the city at the same time who are government officials, but who have never met each other, oddly enough. Look at verse 6. When Pilate heard this about Galilee, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. Is Jesus a Galilean is the question he asked. And the answer we know is what? Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth, which is just up the hill from the Sea of Galilee. Most of his ministry the first three years was centered around the Sea of Galilee. So he is, by definition, a Galilean. Now, if you're a politician and you don't want to make a decision, you want to find somebody to what? Push the question off on. 
Let them answer instead. That's what he does. When he learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who just so happened himself in being in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was glad. Now you're going, huh? He was glad. Now let me, let me step out of the story just a second and remind you, this Herod is most likely the guy that ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. Kind of fill the piece in there. Now let's come back to the story. Herod saw Jesus, he was glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So Herod questioned Jesus at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became buddies, friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had had been at enmity, at disagreement with each other. So Pilate is about to dismiss the charges. Pilate sees nothing to do here. There's no problem here. We're going to send him loose. But here's his Galilean. Good politician says, somebody else can make the decision for me. I'm sending him over there. Now you're going, why was Herod in Jerusalem at this time? He was there because it was Passover. You're going, so Herod was Jewish. Herod was what we would call a nominal Jew. Now you're, what do you mean by that? He was Jewish by birth on one side of his family, which made him Jewish enough to be able to rule over Jewish people, but he really, it's just something he, he was. He wasn't at temple on a regular basis. He didn't go to the synagogue on a regular basis. He wasn't out there doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. But he was Jewish enough. But Pilate says, he is the leader of the region Jesus is from. Let's send him over there. Let's send him over to that place. And so he's there because it is Passover. He's there to be in the right place at the right time. Let's just be blunt. He's there to be seen, even though he could care less about Passover, most likely. He's just there to make his appearance. Again, this is the guy that had ordered the death of John. He was there for Jerusalem, in Jerusalem for the Passover. And being in the city, he was at the right place at the wrong time. That makes sense? Now, where was he staying? We don't know. But I do know this. The ancient city of Jerusalem was not a large geographical, geographical area. So you could get from one place to the other pretty quickly. He was probably just down the street at a, at a government official house. They sent him down there and says, okay, Herod, why don't you take a look at this issue? We, Pilate goes, I don't want to deal with it. Why don't you figure it he's, he's part of your guy. He's one of yours, so take care of him. And so they go over to see him, and, and instead of him actually wanting to know what's going on, did you notice what he really wanted to see? And you're going, what do you want to see? Let me use a modern phrase, relatively speaking. He wanted a dog and pony show. Huh? You go, what do you mean? He wanted a dog and pony show. Look at the text. In verse 8, he was very clad because he had long desired to see Jesus because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. What he wanted Jesus to do was to come and perform a dog and pony show, to do some kind of trick for him, to do some kind of miracle in his presence so he could see for himself what he'd done. Now, I've got to tell you, Poor old Herod had had plenty of opportunities to go see Jesus. 
His headquarters were in the city of Tiberias, which is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' ministry was centered around the Sea of Galilee. He had been around that area all over doing great and mighty things in the name of God. But Herod had never taken his lazy self out the door to go see it. He just hoped to see it. Hope, bring him to me. I tell you, that's not a good way to approach the Son of God. God, would you do something special? Would you do something amazing? Then I'll believe you. Would you, would you do a trick for me? Would you do a miracle for me? God, would you do something amazing for me? Would you do that? Stop. Herod's encounter with Jesus, though, didn't go the way he intended. By the way, he didn't get a dog and pony show, did he? He got nothing. Nada. Jesus said what to him? Nothing. No answer. Now, scholars have debated, why didn't Jesus answer his question? And probably the best answer is it is fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus was being, as Messiah, silently sled to slaughter, as the prophet Isaiah said. But, but following this mock trial, and again, that's a loose term, Jesus is dressed in royal colors, he's mocked, he's, he's made fun of, and he's sent back to Pilate. And this brought those two guys together. Human nature is such that we are so quick to defend ourselves, aren't we? I didn't do it. No, no, let me tell you the real details. Let me give you the, let me go with, he was being accused of things that he had certainly not done, and so his answer was no answer. He also didn't want to give Herod the satisfaction of performance on demand, and so he does what is right. In many ways, what he's doing is, in, is, is revealing the, the old proverb which says this, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Herod was a fool. And for Jesus to speak and respond to him and have a conversation with him and do a pony trick for him was foolish. And Jesus said, not going to be a part of it. You know, sometimes we open our mouths and we just need to hush guilty. Sometimes the best answer is no answer. Trials are going to come. Let your life be the testimony of who you are for or against. So Jesus' first trial resulted in a brief answer. Second, received no verbal answer. Third, revealed his innocence. Now catch this because next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we're going to be talking about the crucifixion. And this is the setup for next Sunday as we're heading into the Easter Resurrection Sunday celebration in two weeks. But catch the conclusion that Pilate comes to. Look at verse 13. He gets sent back to Pilate. I'm sure Pilate was thrilled to see Jesus coming back to his front door. But here's what he does. He calls together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And he says to them, uh, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man, past tense, did not find this man guilty of any charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. So I will punish and release him. Now, modern ears read that and they go, he did nothing, so you should do what? Nothing. If you're a despot, if you're an absolute ruler of a region like this, you can do whatever you want to do. 
And he says, these people want some blood. I'll give them a little blood. Maybe that'll satisfy them and we'll move on. So no verbal answer is made in Herod's presence. Jesus comes back to Pilate dressed in splendid clothing. Pilate's wanting to get someone to make the decision. Now the issue is right back in his lap. And if you're watching the timeline, you're going, how did they do all this before 9 o'clock when he was sentenced to death and sent out to the the hill to be crucified? It happened within about a a two-and-a-half to three-hour window because it was a small town and they made quick decisions. Pilate calls the people together and he says, you know, I've already said he's innocent. And at this point, you could hear the religious authorities going, you've got to be kidding me. Don't you understand what he's done? Don't you know how he's twisted our laws? Don't you understand how he's messed up things? Don't you understand how he's taught things? And he says he's a king. Come on. He needs to be dead. They were convinced He should be killed. Pilate doesn't understand why they're back. They're going, you claim he provides tribute. You says he says he's the king. But catch this. Pilate says, I think he's innocent. He's not guilty. And just because you keep saying it does not make it true. You know, there's an old psychologist. I should have written down who he's, the guy's name. He says, if you tell a lie that's big enough and long enough and enough times, everyone will start to believe it. That's what they're trying to do. Just because you repeat something again and again and again does not necessarily make it true. But they've said Jesus needs to be killed because of these things. And, and Pilate goes, did you notice Herod came up with no conclusion either? He didn't find guilt either. Why do you, All he did was dress him up in royal clothes and send him back. I don't know. How in the world can you understand this? Pilate goes, there's no legitimate case to have Jesus killed. But Pilate does understand he has to do something because he rules over a group of people that hate him. And honestly, he hates them. And they don't want to be around each other, but they've got to figure out how to what? Get along. So he says, here's what I'll do. I'll throw him a bone. I'll let him be flogged and released. By the way, you think flogged. That doesn't sound too bad. My mother always threatened to flog me when I was a kid. But she didn't mean it like the biblical sense. Flogging then sometimes ended in death. What he was suggesting was Jesus to be beaten within an inch of his life and then set free. Congratulations. You're innocent. And in Pilate's mind, he goes, this is a compromise. They want him dead. I don't think he's guilty, but we'll discipline him in and let him go. But notice the lack of questions toward Jesus. Did you catch that in this part of this? Nobody's spoken to Jesus at all at this point. He went from a brief answer to no answer to not even existing almost in the moment. Pilate was trying to get out of the process. Jesus knew what was coming. I think that's why Jesus in John chapter 8 said this, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, and I think he was talking about crucifixion, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. What Jesus was going to do was was a once-for-all-time event whereby he was going to do this. And we're going to talk about it next Sunday in detail. He was going to die on a cross for your sin, for your sin, for my sin, so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. 
And he had to go through all of this to get there. He was going to lay down his life for those whom he would save. And he was going to do this, my friends, for you. So here's the question. He was going to do all that for who? Just say it quietly, for me. He was doing that for me. Have you accepted that truth in your life? Have you accepted Jesus died for you, for me? You're going, well, I'm a good person. Didn't ask that question. Well, I go to church, or I don't go to church. That makes me a pretty good person. I'm not asking those questions. I'm asking you this. Have you placed your faith in Jesus alone? You go, how do I do that? We try to make it so complicated. It's not. Seven-year-old boys can do it. Ten-year-old girls can do it. Fifty-five-year-old men can do it. It's this. We turn control of our life over to God. We say, God, I'm going to trust you. What does that mean? I don't know. But I trust the one who's leading. And I'm going to trust you with my whole life. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. Let me tell you, if you've never done that, that is life-changing, life-transformational, something you need to do. For many of us in the room, we go, I did that. Are we living it? Are we living it? Are we making progress toward being more like Jesus? We're going to give you an opportunity to respond here in a minute. I'd love to pray with you. The altar will be open if you just need to pray by yourself. But we want you to know Jesus, this one who said almost nothing through his trials, but was doing it for you and for me. Father, we thank you for your love for us. God, we don't understand the why, the why Jesus had to die on the cross. But we believe that it's real. And we pray for those in this room who need to make some type of decision, need to respond to you. They need to make a public stand that says, I'm going to follow Jesus. We pray for those who need to renew that commitment to you. They've wandered far from you. They've allowed everything else to get in the way. God, help them to put you back first. We pray your hand in these few moments as we respond to your leading in Jesus' name.